Hello again and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. This is Andy Bitter of the Roanoke Times. I'm speaking to Mike Barber of the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Uh, might be a little muted on this uh, podcast. I have a sleeping child in the next room who's homesick today, so I'm uh, staying home watching her. I don't want to wake her up, that's for sure, after she went to sleep. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm, I'm sharing my space with a sick three-year-old, so today's going to be a, a very germ-filled podcast. This is the Sick Children Podcast. This is for all the sick <laughs> children out there. Uh, of course, we're talking to you after the Hokies' 42-35 to loss in the ACC Championship game to Clemson. Uh, it was a phenomenal game to watch, I'm sure. It was not necessarily a fun game to write on the tightest deadline that we've had all year. Uh, you don't usually like those sort of shootouts like that on deadline when you just have to write a, a t- about a touchdown every two seconds and change your story. But uh, Mike, pretty thrilling game, close finish. Uh, Hokies probably gave Clemson more than a lot of people thought they would. What, what's your biggest takeaway from the game? Yeah, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, we went into the game not really knowing, uh, you know, was this a Virginia Tech team that could compete uh, at that level. They hadn't played Clemson this year. They hadn't played Louisville. They hadn't played Florida State. Uh, I walked away from that game believing that Virginia Tech can beat Clemson. Now, they didn't do it, uh, certainly, and and falling behind early, I think they just never truly overcame that. Um, But I thought Virginia Tech showed that they're very ready to compete uh, at that level, which is, you know, that's the level they played at for many years, and and they had slipped a little bit. Um, I came away with nothing but positives from that game. Yeah, I think so too. I think, you know, they were down what fourteen nothing, twenty one seven, thirty five to fourteen, which is when I really thought it was over at that point. That's when you kind of you know hunker down and start writing your story. You know, oh, this thing's over. Let me get this this thing written as a Clemson win. And then uh, I'm there at the end. I'm like, am I? I might have to change this thing here. This is getting close. Uh, you know, I know Pittsburgh beat Clemson, but not a lot of teams have played them this close. Louisville was right there at the end, sort of in a, a similar situation as Tech, uh, driving for a winning touchdown there. And I say winning because uh, we find out afterwards, uh, David Teal, our colleague at the Daily Press, uh, I think this is his favorite question in the world to ask is, would you have gone for two in a situation like that? And, and Justin Fuente's one word response was absolutely Uh kind of disappointed now that we didn't get to see it get down to a two-point conversion like that. That would have actually made the lead to that story incredibly easy to write because it's it's all about that one play at that point. Uh, how do you like that attitude? I mean, I feel like it's the right attitude in that kind of game if you're a, a significant underdog playing an offense like that that necessarily you don't want to go into overtime against. Yeah, I think one, it, it is the right attitude. I think it's the right mindset um, to be aggressive. I, I think also, um, you know, th- this isn't, it's not a crapshoot business. So that means that Justin Fuente had seen something in a matchup there that he liked. If they didn't have a two-point play they liked, that's not the mindset. You don't get down there and then sort of scramble for what should we do. Um, but I thought it was interesting, too, that uh, when I asked when we asked Gerard Evans about it, he said that Justin Fuente told him before the drive started. So that, that wasn't a, a late decision. That wasn't something Justin kept uh, close to the vest. He told his quarterback, hey, Go down the field, score a touchdown. If you do, we're going to go for two points. Um, and and Gerard told the other players, so uh, they all knew that they had that excitement, that juice. They they were going to try to win the football game. Yeah, well, I think they had all the momentum at that point. 
Sure. Uh, I mean, I know Clemson had scored a touchdown uh, the drive previous to the one that they got stopped, but two of the last three drives, the Hokies forced three and outs on that. Virginia Tech had scored touchdowns on three straight drives before that last one. Uh, I think they got down there and, uh, you know, you get down t- close to the red zone. I mean, I think they were at the 23 where they finally stalled out. It, it really gets, you know, deep, the, the, the field gets really small. It tough, it's tough to get the receivers open down there. And I think Virginia Tech found that out. Clemson cranked up the pass rush a little bit. Rod Evans didn't really have much of a chance on that fourth down play. I mean, he got hit by two linebackers and a blitz that looked like they came free. Uh, had no time to throw it, and I know he got picked off, but I mean, honestly, getting picked off there, at least he gave it a chance, got the ball out there instead of taking a sack when nothing would have happened. Uh, but yeah, I, I like the aggressive nature. I think that kind of spoke to Virginia Tech's mindset in that whole game is that they were there to win that game, and uh, not a lot of people uh, gave them a shot. I mean, were you kind of struck by the attitude afterwards? I mean, to a man, everybody said, you know, they, they weren't just there to be there. They were there expecting to win the game. Were you surprised by that, or is that just an attitude that you think teams have to take? Yeah, I think that's. I think it is generally the attitude you have to have. I, I was more impressed by it or struck by it after the game than I was before. You know, before, of course, what else are you going to say? Um, but I thought afterwards, instead of coming out um, and being really prideful of of playing a great game and, and really, I think, impressing a lot of people, um, there was real, genuine sting and disappointment. Um, you know, and, and regret, you know, a lot of the guys talked about the bad start and, you know, if the defense and the offense had just gotten their legs under them a little earlier, uh, what might have been, um, I think that's the right attitude to have too, you know, guys like Kenneth Canem and Andrew Matua Pawaka and even Gerard Evans, you know, they, they didn't mind stepping back and talking about the big picture, which coach Fuente did not want to do, but, you know, they didn't mind saying that, Hey, we've helped get this program back and, and look where we are and we got everyone's attention. But when you asked about that game, um, it was there was no moral victory. They they felt like they had a chance to win, and the way the game played out, it, it's hard to argue with them. Yeah, you know, Fuente said, you know, it, it hurts so much because they put so much into it, and they put their entire effort into winning that game, not just showing up. Uh, you know, I think Augie Conti was a great example of that. I mean, he's a guy that's uh, usually a really great quote. Uh, afterwards, you could tell he was hurting on this loss. Uh, you know, he went the Reese Bobby route from Talladega Knights. He said, if you're not first, you're last, which, I mean, I guess that's, that's true in, in a game that only has two participants, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's a rough in the big way. picture. It's a in rough the big way picture, to that. Yeah. In the big picture, you still have to remember that Virginia <laughs> is in the same conference. So uh, you can, you can be other things besides first before you, before you really get to last. Right. I, but I think that speaks to the attitude and the disappointment that they had, that they really thought they had a shot and they did. And you yeah. know, what did you think of Clemson? I mean, I think Clemson's a legit, college football playoff team. I mean, I know it's Alabama, a large gap, and then the other teams that are in the playoffs this year, I think. I I don't think anybody would really disagree with that too much. But, you know, Clemson has the kind of offense, has the kind of game-changing quarterback that, you know, Ohio State doesn't. And it has the kind of defense that I think maybe Washington doesn't. That I think if there's a team in this playoff that could give Alabama a game, and obviously in last year's uh, championship game, they were right there with Alabama to the end. I, I think it's got to be Clemson, right? 
Yeah, I, I agree. But I, and I told you this going in, I, I just, I'm not that sold on Clemson's defense. And um, I told you going in that, you know, against the three other best offenses in the ACC, they had let up 30 plus points in all those games when, when they played Florida State, when they played Pittsburgh, when they played Louisville. And I thought, and I think we both did thought that this game would be high scoring and it was. And so I, I have some questions about that Clemson defense. Um, I, I don't think it's as good as some of the statistics it had this year where it feasted on some some kind of lousy offenses. I, I think when it's been tested, um, it's given up a ton of points. That being said, I, I love this Clemson team because I think it does, in a very different way, what the great Frank Beamer teams did at Virginia Tech. It has an overall game plan of how to win. Dabo knows that they're going to score points. They know that with Deshaun Watson they're going to score points. So they're not trying to shut people out. I mean, they'd love to. But at the end of the day, they know there's some big moments in the game, and if you get some big stops with that offense, you're going to win. I, I think about when Virginia Tech got the ball on, on the turnover, the interception, I thought that was the defining moment of the game. If Virginia Tech can go in and score, I think that changes everything. And at that moment, Clemson's defense was very, very good. And I think that's the way that team's constructed is the defense is very, very good in key spots. The offense is very good all game long. Uh, you'll win a lot of games that way. Well, here's the thing about defense. And I, I think there's sort of this misnomer out there that people think that great defenses shut everybody down. And they just don't, and especially in this day and age of college football, where I, you know, unless you're Alabama, and that like that is such the exception to the rule. I just don't think defenses are equipped these days with the rules and the kind of offenses that people are running, spreading things out, hurrying it up, throwing it. You know, they're running 90, 100 plays a game. I just don't think you're really going to see defenses shut teams out completely. And other than Alabama, and even they had some problems this year against some of those. I mean, against Ole Miss, they gave up 43 points earlier this year. Uh, I mean, when you play a really good offense, I think teams are just going to score some points. So I, I don't necessarily look at Clemson, you know, struggled points-wise defensively against uh, Louisville, against Florida State, against Pittsburgh, against Virginia Tech. I mean, I, I think just good offenses are going to be able to put up points. And I, I think you see that against Virginia Tech's defense, too. People say, uh, what's wrong with Bud Foster? You know, his defenses aren't the same as they used to be. It's like, well, teams aren't playing a ball-control style of you know football anymore. It's more, it's more rare to see a team like Wisconsin than you are to see a team like uh, Syracuse where they're throwing the ball a ton, running it really up tempo. And that's an extreme to say Syracuse, but sure. you know, you know, even uh, yeah, I'd say 75 to 80% of the teams out there are running some form of hurry up or spread, maybe not as their full-time base thing, but as uh, some component of their offense, I just think there's a whole lot more offense out there. So I don't necessarily judge a defense based on, Oh, they gave up a lot of points in this game. I look at it. Can they get the stops at crucial times? Can they force that turnover when they need it? And I think Clemson has that kind of talent on this defense that could be problematic in those spots. I mean, look at last year's national championship game. That, that was what, like 45 to 42 or something like that? I mean, those and those are two elite defenses that put a ton of guys in the NFL. It's just tough to stop some of these offenses. Yeah, no, no doubt. It is a different style of ball. But I mean, you think about, and they don't have the personnel, but when, when Tech went up against East Carolina, that's an offense that's designed to score a lot of points. And I think giving up 17 or which is what they did, or even 24. But I think there is a difference when your defense gives up, you know, 30 plus, and and that's why Clemson was in a dogfight with Pittsburgh. It's why they were in a tight game with Florida State. It's why they were in a tight game with Louisville. I think if you have a truly elite defense, they're not within a touchdown of you all night. Um, and I think that's Clemson. When I look at their defense, it's not about the point total. It's about the margin and how many big stops did you get. 
to me, they got the key big stop after that turnover, and that's what allowed them to have that touchdown margin all night. Um, but overall, I, I just I, I wasn't blown away by the defense. But like I said, I think they have an overall game plan, an overall team approach where that defense is going to make some big stops and key moments. The offense is going to capitalize. Um, but when they're playing good teams, it, I don't see them blowing anybody out uh, because I think that defense is a little suspect. But I don't see them losing very often uh, because I think it's uh, timely. I think it's clutch, if you want to use that word. Um, and I think the offense is just phenomenal. I want to talk about that one uh, interception. Uh, you know, Matua Pawak had the interception. They were at the Clemson 38. At that point in the game, they were down 21-14, I believe. Yeah. Uh, this is early in the third quarter. They go incomplete, uh, incompletion, a little uh, screen pass or a quick pass to Sam Rogers where Evans was a little under pressure and I think had to get rid of it early. Uh, there's the incompletion out wide to Bucky where they initially ruled it was complete. It clearly wasn't. They re- they reviewed it incomplete. All of a sudden they're third long and then Evans gets sacked. They have to punch from the 43-yard line. That to me was the key drive to the game. I mean, I, I thought if Virginia Tech could get any points there, uh, at least then you have the chance to take the lead if you have the ball instead of being down a touchdown. Uh, instead, they punt from plus territory. Clemson goes down the field. It's 28-14. Uh, the margins extended again. It, I just felt like not scoring there, they were always kind of playing catch-up in that game. And it just never felt like they were quite there, even at the very end. Uh, you know, I know they could have scored and got the two-point advantage, but they were always just sort of in comeback mode. Uh, how critical do you think that series and that sort of turn of events was there? Yeah, to me, that was, I mean, it's, it's easy to say that was the game. And, and certainly the bad start is a huge factor, too. But um, that was the moment where you can hit the reset button. And teams, when you see big comebacks, there's always a moment like that where you hit the reset button. And now the game's back to even, except you've got all the momentum, except the other guy, instead of the other guys. And um, I thought the key play was the second and 10 because Bucky was open. Uh, Gerard just didn't make the throw. Um, He's been great all year, so it's not putting it on him or anything like that. But I thought that was the moment where you get a good ball there, you get a first down, um, maybe you start moving. Um, I thought if they could have scored there, boy, is it interesting because you've just – basically come out and hit the reset button. You've gone back to square one um, and you've got the momentum. So, uh, you know, you can never go back and you can't redo things like that. But I thought uh, at that moment, they really could have seized control of the game um, if they could have gone down, could have scored there. Um, It's just, it's, it's tough when you're playing in a game against an opponent that good and you're down early, you can't miss an opportunity. And, I don't think there's any way to argue with the fact that uh, that was a golden opportunity and, and they missed it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, they had fought back from those early pass interference calls. And uh, I won't get too much into the pass interference calls because then everybody did, turns into a, a whining fest about the officials. I, first of all, I thought three of them were iffy. The one on Faison at the end I thought was legit. And, and maybe the one on Chuck Clark, you could have said he was impeding. But I thought they bounced back well from that early on. Uh, but I think overall you just saw there was a difference between those two teams on the field. And, and Clemson has obviously been under Dabo for seven, eight years now. So they've been recruiting to this system for a while. They've been recruiting at a very high level. Uh, what do you think the biggest uh, deficient or the gaps between the two teams was? Where was Virginia Tech very deficient in this game compared to a program like Clemson that's been you know in the works for a while here? Yeah, I, I thought Bud Foster did a nice job addressing that after the game. I, I think it's it's still an issue of depth. Um, you, you know, I think Clemson just has more pieces. 
uh, has deeper pieces. Um, whereas Virginia Tech, you, you see if a guy goes out, there's a little bit of scramble still. They've, they've got some good players, but uh, they just don't have the depth, particularly defensively, uh, that a program like Clemson has. And um, That's tough when you're facing an offense like that. You, you want to be as fresh and as deep as possible. And, you know, Bud said, he, he told me, I'm, I'm going out recruiting Sunday morning. And that, that was sort of the focus, was to get some depth. And, um, you, you know, Greg Stroman, it, it turned out, d- despite – the injury reports and everything we were told, Greg Stroman wasn't 100%, um, but Bud said he put him in because he needed some guys who would compete. He needed some guys who were going to take on those receivers uh, in the secondary and and hopefully not get those pass interference calls that the Tech was getting early. And um, he felt like Greg's you know competitive nature was going to be the best way to go there. But you just like a little more depth so that when you when you are dinged up or when somebody isn't playing well, you have some more options, some more things to play with. Um, I still think Virginia Tech's frontline talent uh, is as good as, as anybody's in the league. I think Gerard Evans is a star quarterback. I think there's no arguing with how great that receiving core is. Uh, disappointed in, in the tailback part of the running game this year, but again, part of that is, is philosophy and the way they were used. Um, at the end of the day, I, I think it's just how many great players and, and very good players do you have in your program, and uh, Clemson's got a lot of them. Yeah, I think it was uh, interesting to me late in the game. I was just looked out there and happened to see him when the you know Clemson was driving against Virginia Tech. That starting defensive line that was in the game for the Hokies at that point was Trayvon Hill, Haushan Gaines, Ricky Walker, and Tim Settle. Yeah. Uh, and you know Ricky Walker has played at a starter's level this year, but you know all those other guys are backups. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, let's see. Or all three of them are freshmen. <laughs> I mean, they're all redshirt freshmen. Redshirt, so, yep. I mean, it gets very young very fast on that second team. And, uh, yeah, that's, you know, Fuente's been here one year. There's been a lot of attrition over the past couple of years and a lot of misses on the recruiting trail. I think that's where it really catches up to you is in that depth. And you could see that in Virginia Tech. I mean, you know, the second team, you'd have to go there in, in this kind of game because it was a track meet. It's an exhausting kind of game. Those guys are, are you know, trying to, to catch their breath on the sidelines. You have to put somebody in the game. And I think with Clemson, even though they're pretty young and they lost a lot of guys last year, I think they recruited a higher level for that second team. So maybe they're a little more prepared to go into this, this uh, kind of environment and play in this kind of game. Uh, maybe not as much with Virginia Tech in this situation. Although I thought those guys, you know, handled themselves okay for the situations. I don't think they were outstanding. Uh, I think Tim Settle made a couple plays. I thought that was pretty impressive, but uh, handled themselves okay. I, I think the other area that you still notice uh, a pretty big deficiency in Virginia Tech is in the trenches, and, and certainly on the offensive line. It just seemed like Clemson was all over Evans all day in this game, uh, and that's a, a situation they still haven't quite gotten fixed in this one. And I know, uh, you know Virginia Tech put some pretty good pressure on Watson, and, and he's just a, a great quarterback and got rid of the ball and slid a certain way and got rid of the ball. They didn't sack him all day. Uh, that, that one that Tim Settle had in the backfield was actually a tackle for a loss. They called it a running play. Uh, I think the offensive line still needs some work on Virginia Tech's side to, to be able to shore up that side. Do you feel like that's still the case uh, with, with the way this offense is played? Yeah, and it's interesting because going into the year, um, there was all this talk that, that that problem had been kind of solved. And, and I, thought it, I thought it was the best this group has played in a number of years. Um, you know, I thought they put together a, a good season. Um, but you do have to be you have to be elite in your offensive line because you're going to face elite defenses with their pass rush. I mean, you're going to face guys like 
Price and uh, everybody really on that that Clemson front, but particularly Watkins and Wilkins, and you're going to face these big time players. And if you have an offensive line that um, isn't on that level, uh, it, it really creates problems. And it creates problems sometimes in ways that people don't think about when you go up against uh, a team like Clemson. Well, you're going to have to do some double teaming inside with Watkins, and you're going to have to do some chipping on the outside on Wilkins. Well, now. You've limited the plays you can call and the things you can do uh, if you've had to put your halfback or your hybrid or your tight end, whoever it is, in motion to chip on Wilkins on the outside. You've limited what you can do running the ball if you're having to double-team the same guy in Watkins inside every time. So um, sometimes it isn't you get done with a game and and you say the star player didn't have a huge day against you, uh, but he had a huge impact. And I I think when you have offensive linemen who can go man-on-man, one-on-one and, and, and handle those caliber of players, it just changes the entire offensive approach. And I think you're absolutely right that Virginia Tech, while they were better in the line this year and they were they were fine, um, they've still got some work to do. If, if they want to win championships, they, they need to be better up there. Well, we talked a lot about you know what Virginia Tech didn't do to win the game. What surprised you with how they played? What uh, did they do that you were just like, whoa, this is a little bit better than they've done this year. I'm kind of impressed by this. You know, I don't know if anything surprised me other than the fact that they were able to do it against Clemson, if that makes sense. I thought they did a lot of the things that they've done well this year in, in terms of spreading the ball to a, a number of different receivers and um, in, in terms of uh, you know getting the ball to, to Ford. I, I would have liked to see more for Hodges. I know they went for him on the, on the Rodgers halfback option pass, and that was a really good aggressive series there for them. Um, it, it became pretty obvious, I think, that Clemson came out and said, we're going to take away Ford and Hodges, and one of the reasons that Cam Phillips had such a big game. But at the end of the day, what impressed me or surprised me was that the things they've done all year, which um, is take what the defense gives you, I think when we hear that phrase, we think it's boring because the defense is just going to give you nothing major. Well, I thought in, in this case with this team, with all the weapons, take what the defense gives you isn't a bad thing. It's it really is about exploiting matchups, and I thought they were able to do that in a big game situation. I thought uh, they quickly identified the fact that there was going to be opportunities for Cam Phillips, and I thought they did a nice job getting him the football. Um, I, I thought they quickly identified when Gerard Evans could run and, and when it wouldn't work, uh, and I thought they took advantage of that nicely. Um, so it, I don't know if it's surprised. I, I thought they did the things that they do well, uh, but I'm impressed with the fact that they could do those things in a championship game. Yeah, I, I think one thing that sort of surprised me was they were down so much early, and at that point sometimes you see pass it all the time in this thing. <laughs> they actually ran the ball okay a little bit. I'm not going to sit here and say they ran the ball great. They finished with a season low, 102 yards and 2.9 yards a carry, but they had four rushing touchdowns. Like When they got down there, they pushed their way into the end zone, and uh, I thought that was actually – shocked me a little bit that they still went to that uh, in that situation. You know, Trayvon had a 27-yard run. They didn't abandon that completely. He actually, you know, seven carries, 37 yards with a 27-yard run at 5.3 yards a carry. So it wasn't an altogether lost day for him. Uh, I, I guess the, the fake punt, that surprised me. I <laughs> bring up that fake punt. That thing was awesome. That was that was the prettiest fake punt I think you could run. And that's a little jump pass from, from Mitchell Ludwig like that. Uh, 
I thought that was just a very well executed thing. I, I just thought they, they played well in certain spots and certainly gave Clemson uh, as much of a fight as, as a lot of teams have this year. We, what did you think about Orlando in general? Uh, sort of short notice to host this game. And I, I know what you thought of the media hotel and the pool and the hot tub and everything down there. Uh, I thought it was a pretty, they put on a pretty good game for what it was. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they've got experience doing that. And uh, I mean, the hotel was obviously amazing. And uh, yeah, I thought the operation ran ran fine. I thought the crowd was better than I expected. And I know that's funny to say because it was the smallest crowd in title game history, but uh, short notice and um, you didn't have any of the Florida schools in, you know, certainly if, if Florida State or, or Miami or if you had gotten that matchup of Florida State and Miami, uh, it, it might have changed things. But I, I thought they had a I thought they had a great atmosphere even if they didn't have a huge crowd. Um, and I thought the event ran perfectly. And that is impressive because there's so much planning and work that goes into these championship games and bowl games and events like this. Um, I, I think it really was, I think people took for granted how you know easy it is to move a game like that. It's, it's a big task. And I, I thought, I thought the ACC operation ran really well. Um, I thought, you know, our, our access and what we got and how all that ran, I thought that was handled well. I thought the stadium, you know, was very ready. You know, obviously they host bowl games there and um, they, they had no trouble stepping in, but I, I don't, well, don't want to discount the amount of work that it took. Um, I thought it was a good experience on all fronts. Yeah, I think it might be a one-time deal, at least based on the uh, political results in North Carolina. I'm, I'm curious. I don't think that uh, law is going to last too long there, and that's probably going to bring the ACC back to Charlotte, where it should be, honestly, just kind of centrally located to the the conference. I think it's a real hardship for a lot of fans to get down to a place like Florida. Uh, is it part of the reason why I think Virginia Tech is not going back to Florida for this bowl game? Is sure. it'd be two trips to Orlando like that so quickly? Which uh, I guess I'll be a good transition. We can talk quickly because I can hear my daughter stirring in the other room from her nap. Uh, bowl game, Belk Bowl against Arkansas. Uh, I think it might be a little disappointing for some Virginia Tech fans to to be going to Charlotte in a year that they win the the Coastal Division, but. You look at the places they could have gone, and uh, you know two bowls in Orlando. They just played in Orlando right there. Uh, Charlotte's never had them, so I think it was this. They've kind of danced around this bowl for a while. Uh, you know, I, while some people I think are disappointed, I think there are a lot of other people that you know don't quite have the means to go far away to a bowl game every year that look at the Charlotte one and go, hey, this is one I'm going to be able to drive to. I'll be able to go down and back on the game day, uh, get down there to this. I think there's. It's probably a pretty split fan base where some people are very excited about this, and probably some people are like, eh, blah, Charlotte, whatever. What do you, what do you think of this matchup? Yeah, and, and what's interesting is I think it's not just a split fan base. I think fans themselves are conflicted. I think fans are thinking, man, I can't believe that that after this kind of a year, after we're finally back to to this level where we're going for a tenth victory, uh, we're going to end up playing a seven and five team in Charlotte. Um, but then they'll tell you in the, in the next breath. I'm excited to go. That's a game I can get to. So it's sort of funny that, but, you know, yeah, you'd like better, but, you know, you got to beat Georgia Tech and Syracuse. If you beat Georgia Tech and Syracuse, we're talking about a whole different scenario going into Saturday night and, and coming out of Saturday night. Um, you didn't do that. So I, I think Virginia Tech ended up about where they should. Um, the, the other side is a little disappointing. I think uh, Arkansas, when you talk about the SEC, um, you could have you could have drawn a more – exciting opponent, I think, uh, than a 7-5 and five team. It's a good Arkansas team. Uh, everybody in the SEC, if you have a winning record, uh, has been pretty decent. But, you know, they were they did not have a winning record in conference play. Uh, they did not have a great overall record. So 
I, I think there is a sense that um, this isn't the most exciting cap to a great season. But, uh, you know, bowl games, let's be honest, you get outside of, of the college football playoff and maybe those big six games, what really is going to be exciting? There's a few matchups on the board I like, but in general, this is more about um, sort of rewarding your players and having that one more showcase after a good year. Uh, if you're not up in the upper echelon, uh, what difference does it really make? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Virginia Tech was probably tagged for a Charlotte and an Orlando trip this year that just got it in the opposite order than yeah, you would have expected exactly. uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, also, Belk Bowl, a, a tremendous follow on Twitter uh, of the bowl games. The Belk yes. Bowl is uh, one of the funniest, more interesting Twitter accounts. So I'd suggest you go follow that there. Uh, I think I heard a baby in the background of your microphone as well. Yeah, was, so we, we should probably uh, <laughs> hand out game balls here and wrap this thing up. Uh, offense, defense, who are you giving it to? Uh, I'm going to go with Cam Phillips offensively. Uh, Gerard Evans I thought was good again and, and, and was under siege all night. But Cam Phillips was the guy that took advantage of what the defense was giving them. 12 catches, 92 yards, and a touchdown. Um, I thought he's had a great year, uh, and I thought he had a great game taking advantage, being the guy that kind of found the holes, and, and Virginia Tech did a, a good job identifying that. So he gets my offensive game ball. and. Uh, defensively, I'm still going to go with Terrell Edmonds, the leading tackler. It's easy. He had the 12. He had the tackle for loss. Uh, he had a quarterback hurry in there uh, on a blitz. Um, I thought he he showed up again as an elite athlete. So uh, defensively, Terrell Edmonds. Offensively, it's Cam Phillips for me. You know, offensively, I'll go Gerard Evans. Obviously, he was the uh, guy that made the offense go again. But I'll give a shout out to Mitchell Ludwig too for that pass <laughs> because that thing was great. I mean, that was just like a running jumper in the lane, and you just floated it over there. Uh, you know, perfect. You know, one for one, twenty yards in the first down. That's a pretty good passer rating right there. So he qualifies for offense. Uh, this week. Also, he had a 60-yard punt average, 44.8 on six punts. Pretty good day. Defensively, you know, not the greatest defensive ever. I'll go Tim Settle. I thought he showed yeah. up a couple times that game. One and a half tackles for loss. Uh, you know, maybe he could have given a sack on that play. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, he's come on at the end of this year. I think that's very encouraging for Virginia Tech going forward uh, to have a guy like that playing at this level. So, uh, with that, do you have anything to add to this? I feel like I think the, that's the, good. The the babies are forcing our hand here. We've got to wrap yeah, this thing it's up. It's time to grab the tissues and, and get to work. So <laughs> I think I'm good. All right. Well, uh, we'll we'll figure out another time to do a podcast here before the bowl game starts. So uh, we'll let you know about that. Uh, until then, uh, look for our work, uh, both of our websites. For Mike Barber, this is Andy Bitter. We'll talk to you next time.